The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, hello and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I am so blessed to greet you on the other side of Easter Sunday. We journeyed through Lent together. We journeyed through Holy Week. And now here we are um, on Easter Monday, celebrating the fact that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And what I'd like to do with and for us today is to talk about some of the post-resurrection appearances, because one of my favorite things about the Easter story outside of the resurrection itself is all the stories about how Jesus showed up for people, how he showed up for his people on the other side of the resurrection. Here he was, the resurrected Lord. He could have been celebrating and having parades and having coronations and things like that, but he didn't do any of that. In a very quiet and systematic way, Jesus sought out his followers and really crafted a personal encounter with each and every one of them that ministered to them very deeply. And so I'd like to go through four of them. Some of these are in our lectionary for this week. Some of them are not. But I want us to get this uh, larger vision, this larger picture of Jesus' care and concern for his friends um, on the other side of the resurrection by looking at just a few snapshots of what happened as Jesus walked around as the resurrected Lord. So as we move through these stories, I want to invite you to listen in a reflective way and to imagine where you find yourself in these stories. Is there one of these stories that ministers to you the most deeply right now where you say, yeah, that's where I am with Jesus on the other side of the resurrection? And so to stay in that story, to go to that place in scripture, to sit with Jesus in that particular encounter, because that's the one that draws you in, that's what I'd like us to do as we move through these reflections. So let's start with John 20 and the appearance to Mary in the garden. Mary is weeping in the garden after Jesus' death, and she doesn't know anything about a resurrection yet. And so I think that her story invites us to wonder, where in my life am I weeping? Um, Where am I standing beside or outside a great emptiness? and feeling the pain of a great loss. Because this story invites us to move in as close as we're able to the empty place and to let the tears come and to be with our loss. Um, And that's what Mary's doing, and she's letting her tears come. In fact, some people believe that the reason that Mary was the first to arrive in the garden on Easter morning was because she never left. And I think that's a tremendously deep and powerful idea that Mary was the closest one to Jesus and that she had never left. And so that's why she was there for that early morning encounter. So she's weeping. She stayed near the place of her loss. She did not get on with it. She stayed close to the emptiness. And so even while Mary is there shedding her honest tears, And looking at the empty tomb, she has this encounter with Jesus in the garden. And although she did not recognize Jesus, Jesus was there with her. And it makes me wonder, you know, in the place of our own emptiness and weeping, the place where we've experienced a great loss, where we're standing beside a great loss or standing outside an empty place, are there ways in which Jesus is with us and we just haven't recognized him yet? 
And so in that moment to be weeping and not even knowing what you're doing there, not knowing how long you're going to stay, not knowing how long it's going to take to grieve this loss, not knowing what's going to happen next. I mean, that's the thing with a grieving process, isn't it? Is that you don't know how it's going to unfold for you. You don't know how many tears it's going to take. You don't know all the different ways in which your grief is going to hit you freshly. And there you are in touch with your grief and your emptiness again, maybe crying tears that surprise you in a place that surprises you. So Mary is deep in her grieving process, being courageous enough to stay near the place of this emptiness, refusing to distract herself. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there, but she does not recognize him at first. And so I wonder about for you and for me, is there any place where we are weeping outside of a place of great emptiness and loss? And are we brave enough to stay and be present to it and to perhaps recognize and experience the presence of Jesus in that place? And of course, we know that in the story with Mary, that Jesus calls out her name and that that's when she recognizes him. And there really is no substitute, is there, for having someone call us by name in that place of our own grief. And I think that's part of what calling her by name stands for, is that Jesus is saying, I see you. I see you in your grief. I see what you're going through. And to have someone look at you, like to have Jesus look at you directly in the moment of your deepest grief, your moment of greatest vulnerability, and then to have Jesus call you by name, look in your eyes and call you by name in that place, and to know that you are seen and that you are known in this place of your grief. That is so powerful. And so I think part of the resurrection, the post-resurrection stories, uh, this one, I think, calls attention to the place of our own weeping, to the place of our own grief, and calls us to stay present there as long as it takes to experience Jesus in that place and to have Jesus look into our eyes and call us by name and say, I see you. I see what you're going through. I know how deep it goes. Even if it feels like nobody else can understand how deep this loss goes, I know. I am looking at you. I am here. I am with you in this place. And so take some courage. And yet I'm asking you uh, to, to be courageous today on the other side of the resurrection and to say, where is the place where I'm standing beside a great emptiness, weeping? And am I courageous enough to stay there long enough to encounter Jesus in that place, looking us in the eye saying, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you're grieving. I know how deep it goes. And I am here with you. So John 20, uh, Jesus' appearance to Mary in the garden standing uh, in the place of our own weeping and waiting for Jesus there. I think that's a, a call to us in the week following Easter. Another one that I think is so powerful, and it is in the lectionary for this week, it is John 20. And in this place, this is a place where the disciples have locked themselves into a room because they are afraid. And so this is uh, the place where in a couple of different times and places they are locked behind the room afraid. And there's this phrase in John 20 that acknowledges how the disciples were huddled together uh, waiting for something to happen. You know, Jesus had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and so they were waiting, but they were also afraid because they were Jesus' followers, and so they were afraid that a similar violent end could come to them if they didn't keep themselves out of sight. And so John's gospel 
chapter 20, verse 19 says this wonderful phrase, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Oh, that phrase is so important from a spiritual point of view. Although the doors were locked. And I often teach, and people know that I teach this, that Jesus is polite and does not push in where he is not invited. But this verse gives a slightly nuanced perspective because I think this is a situation where the door is locked due to fear and we don't even know how to open it. But deep inside, we want to open it. See, Jesus knows that that we want to open it. We just don't know how. We're so afraid we don't know how to open this up. And so since we want Jesus to come in, and Jesus knows it so well, Jesus wants to be with us there, and he's not overstepping. He's not pushing in where he's not wanted. Jesus knows that we are keeping the doors locked due to fear, but we would give anything to live beyond our fears. And so Jesus finds a way in. I think that is so powerful after Easter to know that Jesus knows uh, when we are afraid and why we are afraid. And Jesus finds a way to come in anyway. And so I think this story post-resurrection invites us to ask the question, what doors are locked in my own life right now? Where is the door that I've been keeping shut out of fear or maybe willfulness or it could be that I just don't know how. There's a lack of spiritual knowledge about how to open a door that has been locked this long. And then to ask, how is Jesus present with me? Even though I didn't know how to open the door, how is Jesus coming to me? Even though I didn't know how to open the door. And in, this, in that sense, I find this verse to be very, very hopeful post-resurrection, that even when some door in my life is locked because I'm afraid to open it, Jesus is not limited by that. What do you think? Isn't that hopeful to think that even when I have some door locked in my life, some place of brokenness in my own life that I don't know how to open up to Jesus, that Jesus is not limited by my limitations. Oh, I just think that's so hopeful. Jesus will never violate us by coming in where he's not wanted, but he knows our deepest desires, and he will find a way to come, even when we don't know how to open the door. And, of course, in this story, we know that uh, his word in that place is always peace. Peace be with you. And one of the ways we know it's Jesus is because when Jesus' presence comes into that place, we're no longer afraid. Uh, We have a sense of peace about Jesus being there with us. So I also love the idea that Jesus wants us to doubt our doubts, because in this story in John 20, there's also the story of, you know, we call him doubting Thomas. I don't know if that's quite fair, but Thomas was just an honest seeker. I wish we would call Thomas the honest seeker, because calling him the doubter is so negative when he is doing and modeling for us what all of us need to do, that when we have real doubts, we need to seek. We need to pursue. We need to talk about our doubts. We we need to say to Jesus, you know what? I'm not convinced yet. You need to show me because I'm not convinced. Thomas is very practical and very realistic. And so I think there are some of us listening today who really relate to Thomas, and we'd rather think of Thomas as the seeker, the one who was that very tenacious seeker, who was very pragmatic and said, you know what, I want to believe, but but I just haven't been a witness yet. I need to witness something. I need something to make a difference so that I can believe. And so Thomas is there, and Thomas has been hesitant to believe 
what he has heard the other disciples say. And I think that's so honest to say, you know what, you might have had that experience with Jesus, but I haven't had that experience yet. So (laughs) I'm not there yet. And I need to have my own encounter. And so here we are encouraged, I think, by the presence of Thomas to doubt our doubts, to doubt our disillusionments, uh, to have our, our doubts, but to be open to having them challenged by a new reality. And that's what happens for Thomas that even though our doubts might feel real, they could be wrong. And so to open our doubts, to hold them openly before the Lord, like Thomas did, and then on Easter, to have this experience where Jesus meets you in your doubt and says, here are my hands, put your finger in the nail print, put your fingers in my side. I want you to have everything you need to have in order to believe. Thomas is such a wonderful example of a spiritual seeker in those places where we have our doubts. And then remember that in John 9, there is this special blessing for those of us who have not seen and have believed. And that would be all of us today, right? All of us are reading scriptures and reading other people's stories about their resurrection encounters. And so there's a special blessing for all of us who are on the planet right now that we too can believe, even though we haven't seen, we weren't right there at the resurrection story, but we can choose belief today because of our own encounters with Jesus. So what about you? What are you doubting today? Um, And is this Easter a time for you to doubt your own doubts, to doubt your disillusionment, to challenge your doubts, and to believe against all odds to believe? I think there's a powerful invitation for us in John 20, um, in Jesus appearing to the disciples in in the locked room, coming to them through the door, through the locked door, and then finally witnessing Jesus encountering Thomas in exactly the way that he needed. And that's the beauty of Jesus post-resurrection, is that he knows what each one needs and he's very intent on giving it to them. So another place in scripture, it's not in our lectionary for this week, but again, we're looking at the broad sweep of how Jesus created and crafted these very personal encounters for his disciples on the other side of that terribly disillusioning weekend, the violent weekend that they had experienced together, the disillusioning death, the sadness and the grief and the loss, and how Jesus came to each one and sought to give them comfort, knowledge, even help them to reprocess some of the things that had been kind of embarrassing through the crucifixion weekend. So I would like to draw attention now to the story of the Emmaus Road, and that's one of our favorite stories here in the Transforming Center. The Emmaus Road story is really the model for our transforming community experience. We start with the Emmaus Road, we end with the Emmaus Road, we refer to the Emmaus Road all the way throughout, because I think the Emmaus Road is an example of transforming community. It's a model. It's the picture that's worth a thousand words. And so I could go on on and on forever about the Emmaus Road, but I want to hone in on a particular aspect of it. These two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed disciple, they are walking along the Emmaus Road. They are actively processing this very traumatic event of Jesus' crucifixion and death. They are going over their very difficult emotions, um, great deal of sadness and a loss of vision. And Jesus has just joined them and asked them what they are talking about. And he drew them out and he let them talk. And then after a time, he gave them a spiritual perspective on what they had been through, where the crucifixion, the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection fit in the larger scheme of things and helped them to make sense of what they had been through. And he was with them in such a deep way that their hearts burned within them with a deep sense of resonance and knowing. Were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us and talked with us on the road? 
And so I want to draw attention to this kind of a conversation that Jesus is having. Um, If we were able to take a walk with Jesus today on our own Emmaus Road after something happened to us that was deeply disturbing or disillusioning or that had resulted in a great loss, if we were taking that Emmaus Road walk today, is there some event in our lives that's recent or maybe something from the past that you need to talk to Jesus about on your own road? What are the questions that are there for you right now relative to that really difficult experience? What are the emotions that you experience as you relive that event? Can you stay with these emotions in Jesus' presence and keep walking with him? Keep asking your questions. Keep listening for his responses. Let him give you a perspective when it's time. Ask him to stay with you as long as you need him to do so and in whatever way you need him to do so, whatever way that would be meaningful to you. And this is a pretty significant invitation today because, you know, we're living in really challenging times where we have been through a lot of trauma in our lives. We've been through COVID. We've been through a very vicious and difficult political season. We're entering into another political season that we're not quite sure what to expect. Many of us have experienced significant losses and disillusionments and exhaustion over the last season. Um, What if you were to walk with Jesus today and have a conversation about that disturbing event? And how would you share that with Jesus today? And would you even recognize Jesus if he were with you now? And let this story demonstrate what true fellowship with Jesus, and often in the presence of others, but what true fellowship with Jesus actually is. It's actually this willingness to talk about that most disturbing thing that has happened, that place that feels quite unresolved in you, quite ungrieved. Uh, It might even feel like an unfixable. What would it mean? What would it look like for you to walk with Jesus with that today? in a post-resurrection world and to ask your deepest questions and to be with your deepest emotions and to wait for whatever Jesus has to offer and and also to pay attention to the moments when your heart burns within you in some new way. You know, Jesus' presence on the road has a different effect than walking with just mere humans. When we're walking with Jesus, there are moments when our hearts burn within us, moments of recognition where we realize Jesus is right here doing something different than I could ever do for myself, different than any other human community could do for me. We see Jesus as the transforming presence in this story. It was their choice to walk together that invited Jesus, but Jesus was the transforming presence. He was the one to give them perspective and to give them true comfort and to actually redeem all that they had experienced. And so for us in a post-resurrection world, the road to Emmaus gives us an opportunity to walk with Jesus and process with Jesus those very difficult things that happen to us on our own road. That is the invitation of the Emmaus road, to walk with Jesus between the now and the not yet, and to allow Jesus to be the transforming presence on our own road. There's a real invitation, I think, in the way that Jesus appeared to those two disciples on the Emmaus Road. So what is it that you still need to process on your road between the now and the not yet? And are you willing to be real enough that you and Jesus can have a real interaction about whatever it is that you're processing today?
So I'd like to talk with you about one more of the encounters, and this one is found in John 21, verses 1 through 14. And this was, you know, a little bit after the resurrection. It's not precise in Scripture when exactly it was. But the disciples had gotten back to life as normal, if you will. They had left Jerusalem. They had left the site of the crucifixion. They've waited through Holy Saturday, where Jesus is buried, and they're waiting. They don't yet know what's going to happen. And then on Sunday, the disciples start to disperse because at some point you have to go back home after a funeral, after a death, at some point you have to go back home. And so the disciples have gotten back to their life. They have let the vision die, the vision that they had of Jesus' kingdom, and they're back to fishing. And so on this particular day in John 21, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples who are fishing. He appears to them on the beach and he cooks them breakfast. This is an amazing story. So we have Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. So they've gone fishing, and they're all in it together, and they're not having a very good experience with the fishing. They're not catching much, and then Jesus is on the beach, and he calls out to them, and he says, you have no fish, have you? And they answered, no, and he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the the boat, and you will find some. So they cast their net, and they catch many fish. Their nets are breaking, and as they pull their catch in, Jesus has started a fire, and he is cooking for them on the beach. And so I want to encourage you to imagine yourself as the one who's been invited to breakfast with Jesus on the beach. The sun is rising, the mist is evaporating, the water is lapping on the shore. Maybe you're hungry and tired because you've been fishing all night. You're still holding your pain and your disillusionment. Uh, You haven't had a chance to fully process it yet because they probably didn't even know how. And then what does it feel like to be invited, you know, to have someone care for you in a practical way by making breakfast for you? To me, there's something so intimate about Jesus being willing to cook breakfast for his friends. Uh, What he's really doing there is creating an environment for them to have the needed conversations. It's just so perfect. Jesus is creating an environment where what they really need to talk about, they're now finally going to get to talk about. And so what would you find yourself wanting to say to Jesus in, in this moment? Um, What's your physical condition as you come to him? Are you tired, energized? Do you need to eat? Is your body aching from the work? But to be able to be honest with Jesus just about how you're feeling to get it all started. And then Jesus cares for their physical needs um, by fixing them breakfast, but eventually he initiates a conversation because that's what's most needed. And he offers them the opportunity for the relational healing that needs to take place, for the healing of the wounds created by Peter's betrayal. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt the shame that he must have been carrying? Because the last time he saw Jesus, he had betrayed Jesus by saying that he didn't know him. So Peter is holding stuff. He's got stuff that he needs to work through. So Peter is probably carrying shame and a need for um, renewing his relationship with Jesus, for reestablishing love and commitment between the two of them. Can you continue imagining yourself in Jesus' loving presence with time just to sit quietly with him there? Now physically strengthened by food and a bit of rest, what do you need to say to Jesus about that weekend? What do you need to process? What needs to be repaired in your relationship with Jesus? You know, when we go through hard things, we're not always at our best, are we? I mean, Peter is really an example of how when we as human beings are under pressure, we are not always our best. We don't always rise to the occasion as our best selves. 
And so when we've been through something difficult and we haven't been our best selves, we might need to say something to the people around us where we haven't been our best and important people in our lives that maybe need a, a bit of a healing word. Are there relationships that are broken <clears throat> in your life or distant relationships that need to be renewed in love and where a commitment needs to be reestablished between you? So without jumping to conclusions or actions, can you just sit with Jesus for a while with whatever emotions or desires come? What do you want in your relationship with Jesus now on the other side of death, burial, and resurrection? What do you want to say to Jesus about your relationship with him? And as you sit there and wait quietly in that loving presence, what do you sense him saying in response? And so I think John 21 contains a powerful invitation for us as well. What has been left unresolved? What conversation needs to take place between me and Jesus? And we know that Jesus and Peter had a tough conversation. This was the conversation where Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he asks the question three times, and Peter gets really frustrated with Jesus for not believing him, for asking the question three times. It says in the scriptures that Peter felt hurt because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus gives Peter his calling, then feed my sheep. And then there's that challenging word. You know, when you were younger, you used to fashion your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And after this, he said to him, follow me. So some new instructions here that Peter was able to enter into and hear from Jesus on the other side of processing the relationship and the emotions that he was holding. So friends, here's another powerful example. What do you need to be processing with Jesus on the other side of this particular Resurrection Sunday? Where are you and Jesus together? What do you need to say to each other within this relationship? And so, uh, friends, as we conclude just this very, very brief reflection on Jesus' post-resurrection encounters, and I would say transformational encounters, I think one of the reasons I love these stories is because they were transformational. Nobody's left the same after this kind of an encounter with Jesus. So where are you today? Which one of these stories calls to you the most deeply? Are you Mary standing outside an empty tomb, standing out of, outside a place of deep emptiness, weeping? waiting to see what's going to happen next? Are you willing to recognize the presence of Jesus right there with you in the place of your greatest loss? Can you hear Jesus saying to you your name, saying, I see you, I know you, I'm here with you? It's very important. Uh, where, where is the place of your own weeping? And are you able to wait for Jesus there? What about the place in your own life and in your own heart where you've locked the door? Is there a place in your own life where you've just locked Jesus out? You've locked yourself in and you've locked Jesus out and you're, you don't even know how to open anymore. And can you at least express your desire for Jesus to come in? Because Jesus is not limited by our limitations. Those moments when we don't know how to open, Jesus can find a way in. It's very encouraging. What about the place of your doubt? Are you willing to doubt your doubt? 
Are you willing to ask Jesus the all-important question to say, you know, I'm not convinced yet. I need you to show me something. And then see what Jesus does for you in the place of your own doubt. Be open with your doubt. Hold it openly before Jesus and see what he wants to say and do within your relationship in that place of honesty. And then the Emmaus Road, um, is there a place where you're walking in disillusionment and loss of hope and faith, where you're very, very sad? What would it be like for you to walk with Jesus on the road between the now and the not yet um, in this week? Where's the place where you need to have that conversation, where you let Jesus um, open up the scriptures to you, open up a spiritual perspective, and your heart burns with some new resonance, some new recognition of who Jesus is on your road? And then finally, breakfast on the beach. Are you working really hard at it? Are you trying really hard now, trying really hard to get back to normal, but you're, you know you're not? Nothing's going quite right. And Jesus wants to be with you there and wants to heal you body, mind, and soul. What does your body need? What does your soul need? What does your relationship with Jesus need? And can you feel and experience Jesus inviting you into that uh, breakfast on the beach moment where the two of you can process anything that might have gone wrong, anything that needs to be talked about on the other side of this particular Resurrection Sunday. Jesus wants to meet with you there on that beach and have the needed conversation so the two of you can go on together and so that you can have also maybe a renewed sense of your own calling. Peter received a lot in that conversation. He received healing and he also received a new sense of calling for his life. What needs to be said between you and Jesus as you commune together on the other side? of the resurrection. So now I just invite you to not rush on, if you can, to take a moment and to find yourself in the particular story that draws you in, maybe return to that place in scripture and do a little bit of journaling right there about what you're experiencing and about a very, very personal encounter with Jesus that you are needing right now. Don't rush on. That would be the worst thing you could do, but take a moment and be with Jesus right there in the biblical story as you find him there and as you find yourself there. Amen. <laughs>